So for the last several weeks, we've been looking at poison. Um, we've been looking at stones, if you will. We've been talking about how the early church had to literally meet daily in the temple, studying scripture and praying to the Lord because they were utterly dependent on him if they were going to fulfill the mission that he had called them to. And if you've been here, you recall the, the story we talked about of a, of a guy who sprayed some weed killer in his yard and not realizing it, the poison from the weed killer went under the fence and killed his neighbor's plant that had been growing vibrantly. And we related that to our growth individually, spiritually, our growth as a church, um, our ability to fulfill the mission of the church when potentially there are poisons in the neighbor's yards that are creeping under and aiming for our roots. And we talked about examples um, of those poisons that are around us and we've, we've kind of looked at a, a different one each week. And we've talked about um, images that we might bump into on social media that might seem innocent, but they might get trapped in our head and we might end up somewhere else with that. And we've talked about being on the receiving edge of and the receiving end of those images or being the one posting the images. And how if you have daily dependence on God, the way you approach those, the way you respond to those, the way you take a picture of yourself will be different than if you don't have that daily dependence. We talked about the lure of wealth and how wealth, um, the desire for wealth, can cause people sometimes to cross lines and do things they normally wouldn't do. You know, doing whatever it takes to make the money. We've looked at, at all different examples. But whatever your poison is, whatever your stone is, it can halt your growth, it can slow your growth, it can ultimately destroy you, unfortunately. Um, that's the battle that we're up against. You know, which brings, it back, brings us back to our focus on prayer and daily dependence on God. Because if you think about a flock of sheep and you think about their shepherd, and the shepherd's job is to lead the sheep and keep them together, protect them from harm, show them where they're supposed to go. If you're a sheep in that flock and you see a cliff way over there, as a sheep, you're not going to go, hey, I'm going to gallop, sheep can gallop, across the field as fast as I can go and dive off of that cliff. Because that's not what sheep do. As a sheep, you might see a little patch of grass right there that looks really good, and so you meander over and you nibble on that for a little bit. And then while you're there, something, a flower catches your eye six feet this way, and you wander over there. 
and slowly you're moving away from your flock. Slowly you're moving away from the protection of your shepherd. You're not listening for him anymore and you're getting further and further away so that when his voice does call for you, you don't even hear. And the next thing you know, you've drifted away and you're all alone. And what happens when a sheep is all alone? They're far more susceptible to attack by the wolf when they're isolated and separated. Darcy and I earlier this week were having a text conversation back and forth and she shared with me that one thing that she struggles with is this tendency to gravitate towards isolation and separation um, just based on some things that, that she struggles with and she's going to come up and share with us a few minutes about that. like extremely nervous so I'll bear with me <laughs> um, for those of you that know me pretty well you know I don't like to be the center of attention at all so um, my journey into this seclusion kind of happened underneath the radar um, a few years ago uh, way before Meredith was born um, my cup of joy was pretty full. I was having my daily time with, with the Lord, um, just writing in my journal, my prayer journal, just looking back on those journal entries, it was just full of beautiful scripture-filled praise, and my life was in a pretty good state. Um, I enjoyed my job, most of it. I was in a position of power at my work, and I felt valued because um, I'm a pediatric dental hygienist, and a lot of the kids that would come see me, like, I, I enjoyed what I do. They would come and request me, and they'd be like, oh, it's fun to go see Miss Darcy, and, and I felt a lot of praise doing that, and so I was, I was really happy, and just having that moment of, of filling myself with the Lord each morning, and as I'm cleaning these children's teeth, I would be singing songs of worship over them. Most of them didn't even know because I wouldn't say the words, but, or praying over them, and it was just you could just tell that I was happy. And then things happened um, at my job that were just beyond my control. I was, um, my power, my position of power, leadership, was taken from me um, for reasons that I still don't understand. There was a lot of craziness going on at my job. And sometimes you feel like if you were in a position of power there, it's like your boss didn't want you to be happy with that and he wanted to have the control so I was pulled in to my administrator's office and told that basically you're just gonna be a hygienist at this office and we're taking this m amount of money from you and we're gonna put this person over your head and you're just gonna have to deal with it no um, real explanation given and it really took a big hard hit to my ego because that's kind of where I had my joy. I felt worth, you know, I was first time mom. James was probably three or so, well younger than three because before Meredith was born. So I, I found my, my worth there because, you know, being a, a mom is just 
as some of you know, it's difficult. Um, it's ups and downs and it's exhausting. And sometimes you can lose yourself. And that's where I felt I was losing myself and I found myself in my job. So I struggled. It was a very dark place. I stopped reading the Bible in the mornings because I was upset and I went to the wrong places. You know, I went to my friends at work who are not believers and were, was venting and I'm like, why did this happen to me? Did you guys know anything that was happening? What, what's going on? And when you go to um, worldly people for advice, they give you worldly advice and that's not the best thing for you. So I just kept spiraling and I would look and my, my journal entry stopped and when I would, like every now and then I would go back to my journal and I remember one day writing in there, I don't know who Jesus is anymore. And I'm still trying to get back to that joy. And it's hard for me to tell you this because I feel embarrassed. Because I grew up in the church and I know I've heard all the stories, but it's just having that personal relationship with Jesus that if you don't work at it, you become alone. And the enemy will destroy your mind if you stay there. And it doesn't matter. Like I have, I was just in this, in this season, I just kept trying to, to tread water basically. So I hid a lot of that from everybody try to put that, that face of joy on and just continue about my business. We'd have good days and bad days. But you really just don't even realize what's going on. So, so that season just, just left me really overwhelmed. So I started to try to be better because the world was telling you, okay, well, if you're feeling bad about that, then you need to work on you know, being a better wife you need to look a certain way. You need to lose weight. You need to make sure your hair looks good. You need to be a better mom, spend more time with your kids. But then you also need to make sure that you're the best employee that you can. So I was also trying to be, to get back up the ladder at work and, and be a good daughter to my mom and my dad and be a good sister to my brother and a sister-in-law and a daughter-in-law and an aunt and a friend. Like, I just started trying to be everything for everybody. Each role comes with its own list of expectations. And I found myself slipping in the areas and I couldn't, I couldn't meet those expectations so I started feeling like I was letting everybody down, including Jesus because, let's face it, I just was ignoring him as well. So then, you know, you just sit back and start to envy and 
bitter, bitterness like just takes root in you and you look on social media sites and you're seeing all these people that seem like they have their life together. And it's like, well, this mom, she doesn't work full time, so she has time to do all these lovely little crafts with her kids. I want to do that. And then I try to do a craft with my kids and then I end up yelling at them because they get on my nerves because they're not doing it the way I want them to do it. <laughs> I see pictures of, you know, everybody that has their little date nights with their husbands and they all look cute and they go out and they're smiling and I'm like, yeah, we don't do that very much either. I don't have time for that. You know, you have to hide childcare for that. And, and then there's the expectation of you know, trying to trying to have your kids go to this grandparent's house versus this grandparent's house, make sure they all have the same amount of time, and this grandparent gets jealous of this one because they spend more time, and their expectations, like, I'm not, I'm not being the best daughter and daughter-in-law that I can be because I'm not letting, I'm just not doing it right. And so, it just started just not, just sit back, stop talking to people, because people are annoying me, and I didn't even realize that I was secluding myself until there was just nothing left. Seclusion is defined as the state of being private and away from other people. I was keeping my entire life private and away from people. Proverbs 18 verse one says, one who has isolated himself seeks his own desires and he rejects all sound judgment. I didn't even know what my desires were anymore. I mean, I definitely wasn't looking towards God's desires for me. And I just started making you know, stupid decisions of, that led me towards depression and spiraling, spiraling down down. I had a really hard time with the transition of having one child to two children. And I just, I still have a hard time. Um, I know that God was telling me that I needed to talk to him my Bible, I used to carry around with me everywhere. That's pretty much all I did. It was with me. It stayed just like this, closed up. It made me feel better, I guess, to have it with me. Romans 8, verse 6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. I felt dead, and I did not feel peaceful but I wasn't filling my mind with anything except worldly advice. My cup was empty. Um, recently, my husband, I would say my husband and I, but I really didn't have anything much to do with it, but he led um, a financial peace class, which he did a great job doing. Um, and he's been really um, on, on point with all, um, looking at Dave Ramsey stuff, he wants to do all of these um, videos and watch these. And we watched a video together the other night. And part of it was um, talking about successful, um, I, I don't really remember the whole gist of it, but it was about a, a cup and it um, was being filled, filled to the brim and overflowing. Um, and that's just how, you know, being prosperous. Well, I realized that my cup of joy was empty and I wasn't doing anything to fill it. I just kept trying to give more and more to everybody without sitting down and actually figuring out what I needed to fill it with, which was God. 
I came across the scripture um, of Joel 2, verses 13. It said, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. I took comfort in that because there wasn't an expectation there except just to come and be filled. And I didn't have to do anything or be anything except myself. So I'm still struggling a lot and I still have the tendency to stay away from people and stay away from dealing with anything that I probably need to be. I'm not the best at coming to the word, but I'm working on that with the help of God and with the help of prayer from friends like Diane and Rainey, who I'm very grateful for. Um, just to kind of end on my part here is um, a prayer for the Ephesians that I found a lot of comfort with. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 20 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In order to give more, to be what you need to be for, for others, your focus has to be on being filled with, with God, being filled with Christ. And the only way that you can really do that is just to, to, to ask him to fill you. You have to seek him first and not worry about everybody's expectations of you. I definitely have struggles with that, and I feel like I'm talking in circles to you guys right now, but hopefully somebody is hearing what I'm trying to say and um, understanding that if you're feeling any of this, you're not alone because I'm right there with you. slow drift, a slow, unintentional drift leads to seclusion and isolation, loneliness, depression, all tools of the enemy, all the opposite of the life that the Lord wants us to have. Um, what is meant to be light 
the filling of the Spirit and, and that, that radiates then through us and out to others is light, has a shadow cast over it. And that shadow just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's eclipsed completely, potentially. So, you know, how, how do you avoid that from happening? How do, you, how do you protect yourself from that happening? You know, it, um, the guy in that video a minute ago, he had a compass, and he was trying to get somewhere. I don't, I don't know where he was trying to go, but he clearly was not on course. He kept ending up, he looked lost the whole time. And each step he took that was off course, the enemy was providing another stone for his bag for him to carry. You know, so if you are going on a hike or whatever and you have a compass to guide you, if you get completely off track and like you know you're supposed to be heading um, west and you know the sun sit, sets in the west and it's, you know, six o'clock and the sun's setting behind you, it doesn't take a compass to tell you that you're 100% off course, right? But if you've just ventured maybe two degrees off course, is that something that you recognize intuitively? No, you know, but if you have your compass in front of you, you, oh, whoops, two degrees, you come back. If you stop using that compass, you know, and then you, you drift two degrees and then a little bit later you're 10 degrees and then you're 20 degrees, and then you look at your compass and like, oh my gosh, you know, and then you've got to try and get yourself back. It's harder. But imagine if you're completely lost and then you look to your compass. And I'm not suggesting that there's no way to return back to the path that you're supposed to be on, but with the, the, point, of the, the point of the discussion today is how do you stay on track? How do you keep yourself from getting further and further and further away and ending up off the path. Um, I want to look for a few minutes before we close at Psalm 119, and I'm going to, don't put it up on the screen yet, I just want to, um, I want to read the first few verses out of the message translation, and I just want you to listen to what, what this psalmist says. You're blessed when you stay on course, walking steadily on the road revealed by God, you're blessed when you follow his directions, doing your best to find him. That's right, you don't go off on your own. You walk straight along the road he set. You, God, prescribed the right way to live. Now you expect us to live it. Oh, that my steps might be steady, keeping to the course you set. Then I'd never have any regrets in comparing my life with your counsel. I thank you for speaking straight from your heart. I learned the pattern of your righteous ways. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Don't ever walk off and leave me. Um, let's look at that same passage out of the New Living Translation. How to stay on course, starting in verse 1. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. 
Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. I don't know what I did with my phone. I had studied a commentary, um, a commentary, and I was reading the notes on, on Psalm 119. In this particular commentary, he was talking about how um, this psalm, you know, this, this, this writer who, you know, they think this, this is anonymous in my Bible, but they think it may have been David or it may have been Daniel or it may have been the prophet Ezra. They don't know for sure who wrote it. But he was focusing on how to obey God completely, acknowledging that partial obedience can get us off course and result in a life that's not full of joy. You know, we're not experiencing the joy that God intended us to live. And, and this commentator was saying, if you try to obey like maybe 90% of the time, but you give in on this one area or this 10%, and you think, well, by God's grace, you know, I can, I'll just keep asking for forgiveness in this area. You know, but then you, then, you, then you stay right and true in all these other areas that that hypocrisy will eventually shine through, or not shine through, rather, I guess. That hypocrisy will show through, and that the light that the Lord intends you to shine to others will not be full. Um, let's move to the next section, starting in verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why did he hide his words, God's words in his heart? Not just so he knows what they are, you know, and well, I'll choose to obey these 90%, but not this 10%, so that I may not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I rejoice in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Move forward to verse 33. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands. For that is where happiness is found see a theme and this this psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire bible it's like 176 verses i think um it's over 5,000 words and all of it is the psalmist saying help me not you know be with me teach me to obey your commandments i'm going to keep them buried in my heart this, this is evidence in and of itself that this is not an easy thing to do. It's also evidence in itself that there's a battle going on. And if we are going to win that battle, it's going to require intentionality and dependence, just like we've been talking about the past few weeks. Because there's so many things that can pull us off course. You know, first it's two degrees, then it's four degrees, then it's ten degrees. And the next thing we know, we find ourselves in the biggest mess 
you know, we've ever been in in our lives. Or we find ourselves in a very dark place. Very dark place. Um, because essentially what's happening when, when we do that is dark corners are being created in us. What do believers look like when we have dark corners? I want to look over to Luke for a second. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 34. Now, well, I'm going to start in verse 33. It's okay if it's not up there. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen through all, by all who enter the house. And we've all sang the, this little light of mine song and you don't hide it under a bushel and all that, this little light. But listen to verse 34. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Is your light fully showing? Are you a floodlight? Or are you on a dimmer switch? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because these dark corners that we're talking about are like, that's like having a dimmer switch when you're a believer and you're getting yourself off course a little bit here and a little bit there, your light's becoming dimmer and dimmer. And you can, you can try and fake it, you know, and you can keep showing up to church and singing and, you know, praising and, you know, put on a great face. But eventually, you know, those dark corners are going to be exposed one way or another. Can you... Um, can you be on fire for Jesus if your light's not fully shining? Can you flood people with the light of Jesus if your light's not fully shining? Can you be on fire for Jesus if you're spending maybe, let's say, an hour a week looking at porn? Can you be on fire for Jesus if you've got everything else together, but when it comes to making money, you're going to cross some lines of morality? You might do some unethical things. Can you be on fire for Jesus if your focus begins to be on pleasing people rather than pleasing God? It's not a question of salvation. It's not a question of you know, whether um, you're saved or not. But the question is, are you being light? And if we are not being light individually, how can we be light collectively as a church? The struggle is internal. Darcy um, read to us out of Romans, I want us to look in chapter 6, starting in verse 12, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Could you replace this because we're going to need it at the end? The struggle is internal. Verse 14 says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. But what about that grace? Because so many times we think, it's all right, it's all right. I got this 90% 90 covered. You know, 90% of the time I'm obedient. 90% of the time I'm praying. I've got these sin areas under control. Or I might be doing really good and have 98% of it under control. But then that 2%, I cannot seem to get under control. And I say to myself, God's grace is enough. You know, because this 2%, it's okay, it's covered by grace. It's bigger than me. I can't defeat it. I'm just going to keep asking God to forgive me for this, that, and the other. In verse 15, Paul writes, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin because you have become slaves to righteous living. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle. How do we do that? How do we stay on track? I look back to Psalm 19. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, practically, just a little bit off. And the longest chapter in the Bible with 176 verses of pleading to the Lord to show me how to obey, keep me on the path. How far off course have you allowed yourself to go? How many degrees are you off the path? I venture to say there's no one in here that's 100% on course. Let's look back at 119 just a little bit before before we wrap this up. Psalm 119, starting in verse 130. The teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand. I pant with expectation, longing for your commands. Come and show me your mercy, as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. 
that 1% can so easily grow to 5%, can so easily grow to 20%. And even if it's just 20%, that 20% can be so crippling that you have no effectiveness whatsoever. That dark shadow can cast such harm on your life that the enemy doesn't even need to be concerned with you anymore because you're going you're gonna to defeat yourself. The good news is there's no darkness that God's light can't shine into. The key is identifying the darkness, identifying those dark corners, identifying that 10%, identifying that stone, your stone, your poison, because it's different for everybody. And then honestly, truly saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I might like doing this. I don't want to stop doing it because I like it. But it clearly violates your command. And I'm not, I'm not being legalistic here, guys. Because when I don't obey your commands, I don't experience joy. I may think I am in the moment, but death is coming. And I don't mean you're going to die. I mean you're spiritually going to die. A slow death, unfortunately. There's no darkness that's hidden in you that God's light can't shine into if you just ask him to. I'm going to close um, with a verse from 1 John. A book full of, of teaching of God's light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And that's my prayer for us this week. is we stop turning a blind eye to that small percentage or large percentage of sin that's still there, that's blocking our individual light and ultimately our collective light. That we focus on that this week, that we continue to pray together in groups of two every day for each other, for our church, and for those that the Lord wants us to reach. As our worship team comes back up and we get ready to sing a closing song, and the closing song really is going to be our, our prayer that the Lord would give us one pure and holy passion. Um, if you'd stand and let's just close our eyes for a minute. And I want you with your eyes closed where what you're seeing is darkness.
Let's pray that God would reveal the dark corners of our hearts and then open up to um, his shining light in those areas. Let's pray. Eyes closed. Lord God, we recognize that our lives are nothing without you. We recognize that if we're going to be effective for you, your light shining through us, that we have to address the darkness that's there. Father, we pray that you would that you would um, give us a desire to, to obey you. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just we pray that you would protect us from the enemy's lure that just this little bitty thing is okay. Give us the desire and the passion to follow just after you. In Jesus' name, amen.